Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. I am here in Studio B, our beautiful Studio B, and today I have a very special guest with me, Mr. Shmuel Younger, all the way from the land of Israel with uh, Christian friends of Israeli communities. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's exciting. Exciting to be here, exciting to have you. Um, I actually just myself got back from the land, uh, so it's, you know, awesome. it's like being back in the land almost, you know? Okay. <laughs> it's like, wait, you're here. I was there. I mean, everybody's everywhere. The world got really small really quick, you know? I, I don't think I represent the country. You should be more in the country, not only okay. meeting me. Okay. I agree. I agree. Um, so uh, the first thing I want to do is I want our audience to get to know you, Shmuel, kind of where are you from, you know, uh, where are your parents from, um, you're married, kids, all that kind of stuff. Sure. So um, where do you start? Let's start with the fact that I always understood uh, from a very early age that my family is a bit different. Okay. Was it so? Because I'll give you the locations. Sure. My grandparents came, my parents came. Where I came from, where my children came from. Okay. Intention. Mother's side. Father, Algeria. Mother, Tunisia. She's from France. Wow, okay. Talking about born. Yeah. Father's side, Czechoslovakia. Holocaust, everything. Yeah. Grandmother from Palestine. How come Palestine? Israel before 48. Born in Israel. An actual Palestinian. Actual Palestinian. (laughs) My father was born and raised in Colombia. Oh, okay. Okay. I was born and raised in Israel. Okay. Three out of my four children were born and raised in Hong Kong. (laughs) Maybe that's a a part that I'm going to talk about later, how I ended up in Hong Kong. Yeah. So think about the fact that when I was a child, I noticed like something is different. Why is that? Because all the family from my mother's side did not live in Israel. They all lived in France. So we're like... By herself, with my father, my mother, and us, and that's it. I have one sister, and the funny part, people ask me about my English. You were born and raised in Israel. You have pretty good English. Where it came from? The answer is it came from TV. I was going to say France. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But that's the point, because my father spoke English from Colombia. They came from the U.S., and they came to Israel. Got it. But my mother did not know English. She's French. So in my home we never spoke any other language but Hebrew and poor Hebrew if you you want to know sure and I adopted the language uh, after that I wasn't uh, from Samaria originally I was born in Netanya if you know it's a very nice uh, place uh, town on the coast Mm -hmm. actually many people immigrated there from England from France it's like we call it the Riviera of of Israel It's, it's beautiful yeah and um, I had pretty much a very Israeli upgrowing. Like I learned in, in, in the school, we, the whole family, uh, we did uh, something, uh, we call it tshuva. Yeah. You know, the word tshuva. Sure. Uh, repenting. 
yep. and the fact that until my fourth grade, the family wasn't religious. I'm talking, uh, we didn't keep Shabbat, we, we wore it into it. Yeah. Something flipped in my parents. And when I was the, in the fourth grade, I moved to a religious school and the whole family had this transition to um, stronger Judaism, I would say. Cool. Which is, which is a move. Yes. So from that moment, I grew up in a, in a religious uh, perspective. So they went from, from being what, what just titles for the sake of titles, secular to in, orthodox? In, right, right, right. Okay. I think that more than from being traditional, I know you do traditional. Kiddush. That's yeah, it's a better. Yeah, term. you do kiddush on Friday night, and then you watch TV. <laughs> that's the that's <laughs> the drill. Many Israelis act yes, this way. Yes. It's something very common. To the fact that there's not going to be a TV, yeah. and we're not going to go to the beach in the morning. Right. We're going to keep it. Yeah. And I think the transition part is always always in life when you you do something new, you do it very strong. Yes. So they came from like really minimum to wow, like all the way. I think it was good for the family. Sure. It was a big move, a big change. And from that on, that's actually what I remember. You ask me now, what do you remember before that? Not much. Yeah. Remember watching TV on, on the Sabbath. It's, it's, it's the funny part. Yeah. But after that, a religious upgrowing, I've learned in high school in Netanya. And I think that uh, what really defines me as a person is the fact that uh, like many other teenagers, I wasn't so much into it. Sure. I mean, I'm thinking about like the 10th grade, 11, 12. It's really hard. It's really hard to keep up with all the rules. You're a teenager. Sure. You're young. You want to do whatever you want. And I wasn't into it so much. Yeah. So I did something very important for me. And it happens a lot in Israel. You just go to the army soon, right? How are you going to survive as a religious person in the army? The pressure is really high. You work really, really hard. Everybody around you are not religious. So you need to define to yourself what you want to do with your next step. Yeah. So I went to what we called uh, pre-military academy. Oh, okay. Mechina, um, if you people know the name. And that's basically a school, um, a biblical school for people that want to ask the big questions of what's going to be with our life in the religious perspective. And that's what we do. Mm. We spend a year, we spend a year and a half of learning and getting to know our tradition better. But I'm talking about day, night of asking questions, learning, going to the, to the very essential part of Judaism. Explain to us, dear rabbis, why are we doing what we're doing? What a blessing that that even exists. Of course. You know, I mean, that's because that, what, what an awesome thing it would be uh, for it, people of any faith, but especially, you know, Christianity and Judaism mm -hmm. to have that. To say, you know what, before I go off to Western college exactly. or this or that, let me go and spend some time devoted to figuring out the big questions exactly. of life with some people that I can trust exactly. to answer those questions. That's that's big. Uh, for me, it was a, a game changer. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I, I want to say, I don't know if it's the same thing, but um, I sat right here with uh, Rabbi Jeremy Gimpel. I right. Know, and I th he was explaining to me that, um, that he did something along those lines. He took a year or two before going to the military. And I want to, it sounds the same, same but... Same process. Yeah. I, I can tell you there are different levels of those kind of schools. Sure. There are levels of people who are buying into everything. Yeah. And they're saying, you know what? Just give me the books, give me the the, the, the lessons, give me the material, and wanna, I want to sit and learn. 
So that's what you're saying. You're saying we need to learn more to be more equipped. Yeah. I came from the lowest level, which is I want to ask the questions. Yeah. Why? Prove me. Sure. I want to know. I want to understand. The whole process, this, this year, year and a I half. I like that process. I yeah, mean, asking that's the That's something that many teenagers are doing. Yeah. And it's called either a shiva sure. or a mechina. And these are the two elements that I think, honestly, you owe to yourself. Yeah. Right? How long, how many times in your life you have the time to really stop and consider? What's your next move? Sure. What do you want to do in life? We know what happens then, right? Yeah. Because yeah, you yeah, start, yeah, yeah. you need to work, you need to get married, you have children, you need to go to university. Life happens to you. That's right. When will you ask those questions? Yeah. So thank God. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, now, you mentioned that in the fourth grade, you switched to a religious school. And my understanding is that, like, here we have religious schools, right? But that's like a school that you still go the same hours a day that you do normal school here in the States. And... It just has, like, they'll have chapel, and maybe they'll have a, a Bible class as one of your classes as part of your regular grades. Now, I've heard different different scenarios, but in, in Israel, uh, where you were growing up, was this one of those things where they actually had you all day, and, that, like, maybe you went home, like, for you were, like, almost boarding school, and you went home on Tuesdays or some day a week or something like that? So elementary school, it's the same. Same hours, I would say. Uh, different material altogether, because... Yeah. We need to define something about Israel. Um, all the schools in Israel teach Bible. Right. When you teach Bible and you come from a perspective of a belief or just a text, two different worlds. Sure, sure. Right. So if in a secular school they would say the author wrote that, and that's not the Bible, right? Yeah, yeah, We're yeah. We're not talking about a book. And so in elementary school, that's the difference. Like the way you, you learn it. From you go, when you get to get grade seven, eight, nine, then it's like completely different. Grade seven, eight, I finished it five or six, much longer. Sure. And then growing to come grade nine, it's already boarding school. And as you said, only Tuesday you come back home, you sleep there, you finish school maybe at eight thirty at night. Wow. It's a completely different process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because y- y- if you want to really have time to learn. The biblical side, the, the Judaic stuff. You need extra time? Sure, Man, sure. Makes sense? Absolutely. So that's incredible. So you went through all of that process. And then, you're say, I mean, kind of my understanding is you're saying that that was still academic. So it wasn't until after that process of your regular primary school that you took a year and a half and were able right. to really say, okay, that's the faith of all the people that taught me. Now, how do I find... Shmuel's faith, right? I'll say more than that, but you it's exactly the point. When you have exam in the end of it, because that's what we do, we learn it, how really you can connect with a topic. right? They're going to ask you questions about it, so you know it. Right. It happened to you when you learned a subject. Sure. And you did an exam, and it went really well. And after the exam, somebody yeah, asks you, yeah, you have no tell idea. me, what am what like i erased it yeah information dump it goes in you do the exam you dump it out and i think that's one of the biggest problems in the education in that sense that um the teachers are great but they're focused in actually teaching you for the exam sure and when it's the exam is gone then everything is gone so we're really going to relate with and i think that's a problem because it could have been two in the same price two at the same price if the material would be relevant and also they're gonna try to 
jump deep inside the water and try really to get the sense of it, it could be great. So we didn't have it. Unfortunately, we need to have this next process of yeshiva mechina. Yeah, yeah. So then you had that process after school, right? Right before you went, I mean, you did go to the military eventually? Not eventually, after a year and a half after, so of after learning, I went to three years in the army. And so during, during this process, obviously it sounds like you feel like that year and a half benefited you. Um, Changed then, my life. Oh, good. So, so then do you have a defining moment, something that was like the light bulb came on, a question right. that was answered in a certain way? Do you have something that said the faith is now mine rather than it being the faith of my parents or the faith of the rabbis or the faith of our forefathers? When did it become real for you? Like, is there a defining moment you can remember or a process or? The great question. Yeah. I, mean, I think, I think, you know, you need to think about it, right? For a second. But I, I actually remember that moment. Oh, good. That's good. Um, so it was quite in the middle of the year in, in the Mechina and I went to a family wedding. Okay. In my family, we have people that are ultra-Orthodox. You know, they wear black and everything. Sure. And we have secular people. Yeah. Nice little spectrum. Um, happens in every family in Israel. Yeah, You're always going to have the person who went all in and the person who went all every out. Every Christian yeah. family in America yeah. has it, you know. So I remember myself sitting there in, a, in the table, you know, schmoozing with the people. And I got to a conversation with my uh, secular uh, family member. And I remember we spoke about music. And I love music. I still love music. Remember, we were talking about the Doors and Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and Jimmy Page and that and this and guitar. Like, I loved it. And it was such a long conversation. And a, like, good. Yeah, we, we, we related, right? We were sure. close. So when that conversation ended, look to the other side and there was there the my same age black hat wearing ultra orthodox person and i remember that the conversation didn't end so late it's like yes how are you everything is okay what's new what's up what's going on and that's basically it and i remember that i thought to myself why do i have so much things in common with this guy and almost nothing with this guy, but then it really hits me when I told him that I'm in the middle in the process of learning and I'm like I was I was happy about the fact that I'm going to a place to learn high advanced Jewish studies. So he mentioned the name of a rabbi. Just for the sake of the you know podcast, maybe people can Google it. One of the biggest rabbis, his name is Israel Meir Akoen Miradin. Okay. More famous to be a Chafetz Chaim. Chafetz Chaim wrote a famous book about keeping your tongue, huh. not saying bad words. Sure. And that's a very famous book, and its name is named according to the book he wrote. He wrote the book Chafetz Chaim, right? It's on the Pasuk. Um, if you, if you want to have life, keep your tongue. It's, it's a verse that I don't know how to translate it yeah. in, in this second. Yeah. And he named the book Chafetz Chaim, so it was called. The name was changed to Chafetz Chaim. That's the way he's known. So I remember that he mentioned something about the Chafetz Chaim, and I said, yeah, the one who wrote the book about the keeping your tongue. But then he struck me because he was talking about one other famous book that he wrote. He wrote the biggest commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, on the Alachak laws of Judaism. Sure. Mishnah Bura. 
Every person knows this book. Every home but has But you didn't even it. know it was by the guy. Exactly. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, and that's the point. I know Jimmy Page. I know Jimi Hendrix. I know the world. I know geography. I know biology. If you know, I love things. Right? Talk to me about any topic. I'm going to have something to say. But when we're talking about my faith, my heritage, my, my, my tradition, I really, I am, I'm ignorant. Huh. And that strikes me. That, you know, you go to a Jewish uh, a yeshiva and you see all those books, and you know you're never going to finish them. But I know nothing. And the gap was so long. I said, I'm going to dedicate my life even to know more. I cannot be ignorant in the field that matters the most. Yeah. Like, it's great to know about guitars and rock and roll and, and geography and history. Sure. And I know this. I really I care about it. Yeah. But what about the most important thing in life? Right. My heritage, my religion, my faith. That's the moment I decided, Shmuel, take it serious now. Ah, yeah. That's interesting. That's awesome that you have a defining moment. There's a lot of people that don't have it. It's hard to, to take that moment. It is, but I it's remember good. Remember that. It's good. So, um, so you're married, right? You've been married for how long? It's not a question you ask. Oh, okay. If I forget now when she's going to listen, she's oh. going to say, let's say between um, <laughs> so I was I married 12 years. Okay, congratulations. Years. And you have four children? Four children. It's boys, girls. So my oldest is Naveh. He's nine years old soon. And then I have Tal, seven years old. And then I have Avigail, almost six years old. And then I have Nitsan, almost four years old. Uh, I have an Abigail. She's nine. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So four, four children, married for 12 years, living in the land of Israel. And you said you're, mar- you're living in Samaria. Correct. What part of Samaria? Live in a small community of Tsufim. Tsufim, okay. So if you want to look it in the map, search for Kalkilia. Kalkilia. That's the biggest Arab uh, city we have next to us. Just above it, you will see Z-U-F-I-M, Tsufim. Tsufim. Now, is, is this... I guess, no, that's different. I'm trying to think of, of the different places biblically. Um, is there is this in Samaria, is Sufim a biblical city, or is there a tell nearby that it's named after, or is it its own new name? So it's a, it's a new name, but it comes from a, from, from a very interesting perspective because we are in a very in, in a high mountain that watches actually the, the side of the coast. So to Litzfot, to be Sufim, means to observe. Ah. So it makes sense that when people arrived there and they went on this big hill, and when you come to Israel the next time, I, I'm, I'm not going to say it on the podcast, but you came to Israel and you came a visit. Yeah, yeah, next time. So you take a coffee and you go to this observation point and all of the coast in front of you, literally from Chadera, you know, the power plants, mm-hmm. all the way down to Ashdod, all is in front of you. Wow. So it's a beautiful spot and named um, Tzofim. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, the last week I was there, I, I spent, and I think I mentioned this to you, up on a mountain um, in between uh, Minaseret and um, Beit Shemesh. Mm-hmm. But from where I was, you can look out and see on the one side uh, Tel Aviv, right? And then you can see down all the way to Ashdod and Ashkelon. Right, right. That's the point, yeah. Down in the that's south. That's there, yeah. So it, it's, it's got to be a similar spot, which is different than the view from, like, say, Harbacha, where I was at with Hayavel. Mm-hmm. You could still see those things. You see Shechem in Harbacha. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, from, from, from where we were, we see, you could still see Tel Aviv, right? And you could see the Mediterranean Sea, but it's a different view. It's different. It's way further because, away. Because you have mountains 
that hide everything. My mountain. Oh, yeah. Right? So if you come to my mountain, which is the last got in it. Samaria, the coast is open. Got it. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. So then it's just the valley and then out to the coast. Exactly. From where you are. Got it. Okay. Wow. That's got to be a good view. Mm-hmm. I mean, because then you would be able to see the whole coast. Because you can see like Jerusalem from, from Harbacha and all that. But I mean, again, it's we're talking like, see that little gleaming light? See that, that building on the top of that hill? Like you're talking, you know, something, you know. Tiny to the... al is really, really, really in the middle land, right? Yeah, of course. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You can see an, a lot from it, but you can see Shechem and you can see the Jordan Valley and you can see the, you can see different directions, Sure, but it's from distance, as you see, said. And then also from Alomare, um, which is kind of the same view, really. No, in my army, I spent like four months in like on that mountain of al Oh, okay. Right? There's uh, an observation point, mm-hmm. if you know Mitzpah Yosef, Oh uh, yes, of Samaritans course. Yep, 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 yep. I was there. Okay. Actually, it's this this morning, I was explaining to my brother the situation in Shechem, with the UN building and you know the the quote unquote refugee camp mm-hmm. next to all the mansions, right? You know, and all the empty empty mansions. You but, know, but it's you know it's a, it's a real house of a millionaire. Oh yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In, in yeah, yeah. the in the Al Masri. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the army, you know, we have codes for everything. We don't say the name. We don't say that big house that looks like a millionaire. We call it the millionaire house, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. As we call the, I'm not going to use the terms, but we, every point has a different nickname. Sure. So one time in an operation, they went inside the garden of this house. The house you saw from Marbacha and the sure. Samaritans. Sure, That was a big problem. Yeah. They ruined some Fruits there, he complained. Yeah, we had there's stories there. Yeah, yeah, no a doubt. A lot of operation in the area. Oh, uh, no doubt. I mean, there's a lot going on over there. Always. Yeah, even there was some incidents even while we were there, um, which was the first oh, time many, in, many. in a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so it was interesting. Um, we even had like for Rosh Hashanah, we had um, just a small unit that just stayed the night. They were working shifts nine to nine and nine to nine, so they had 12-hour shifts hanging out. In Hayeva Base Camp, you know, just the brother. I idea. spent my Seder night in Albracha <laughs> Bet. There you go. By myself, literally yeah. with four other soldiers. Yeah. Won't forget this Seder night. <laughs> I bet. Finished it singing songs with a Bedouin, not a Bedouin, a Druze friend from my crew. Huh. I had a, I had a, I had a still my friend. Yeah. Was Druze, not a Jew. We st- were together in the crew. We were posted there for Lila Seder. You can imagine, you want to be the Seder, Seder night with your family. Yeah, of course. I'm stuck there. And me and him singing, Kilo Olam Chasdo, and all the Seder songs. <laughs> that's funny. It's great. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, yeah, we, we tried to take care of these guys best we could. You know, they, they, had, a, they had a good time. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah, and they had a good time. So <laughs> by the time they were they left, they were they were well fed and happy, you know, and happy for sure. Um but yeah, so so enough of the IDF and my experience in Israel. Although I just came back, so I'm ex- obviously sure, excited sure, to sure. talk about it. Um, tell us about Christian Friends of Israeli Communities. Obviously, now we fast forward, right? I mean, there's been a lot that's happened between then and you getting started with CFOIC. Right. What is CFOIC? How did you get involved with them? Um, you know, what's what's the mission and and all that? So CFOIC, um, it's not. It's an organization that was established 24 years ago, I want to say, with a lady named Sandra Barras. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows Sandra. Yeah, for I, sure. It's really probably one of the most famous figures in the world of what we're doing here. Oh, wow. And Christ, 
Christian Zionism, if you want to call it, or Judea and Samaria, Christian relations. And she, Sandra, she worked in different organizations that want to promote. She's an Orthodox Jew, originally from Cleveland, came to Israel, and somebody approached her, a Christian Zionist from Colorado that says, Sandra, we need to do something. We need to share the story of the communities. Yeah. Call it communities. The pioneers. Obviously the settlers. Yeah. <laughs> they are a story that needs to be told. And some 22 years ago, when it really wasn't that popular today, thank God there's many people working in the field. She started by herself. She began walking into churches, telling the story of our communities. And just to put it in context, right? We are talking about the biblical heartland. Simple as that. If you learned the Bible, if you heard about the Bible, if you read the stories, you see places. 3,000 years later, the same places are where Jews live today yeah. in Yehuda Shamon, in Judea and Samaria. And the news call it the West Bank. I know, isn't that crazy? And the news ask the questions, how are we connected and related to this area? Yeah. Which they call it the West Bank, but it's really the East Bank, if you think about it. The East Bank of? The Jordan. Why it's the East Bank? Well, the East Bank, sorry, the East Bank of, of, of Israel. Of Israel. Right, it's the eastern right, portion right. of Israel. So, of course, the West Bank calls it from with the Jordan right, uh, relatives. Right, right. And, we have, and we have people questioning our connection there. And if you just, you're, you don't need to be uh, majoring in history to know the story of the Jewish people. Yeah, of course. We were exiled for 2,000 years and we prayed. You know, I always give this context. I told you where my family is from. Yes. What's the connection with Algeria, Tunisia, Colombia? Czechoslovakia, Hong Kong, that everywhere you go, Jewish people are praying with the same book and they talk about returning to the land of Israel, returning to Jerusalem. And every time I'm talking about Seder night, yeah. next year in Jerusalem. That's right. So that was the dream and that was the prophecy that we waited for for so many years. And then in 1948, great establishment of the state of Israel. It's not enough. It's not enough. Right? The prayers and the hopes and the dreams of going back to our land was focused in that area. Right. Because since Bar Kokhba, I mean, this is this is two thousand years. You, know, you, you think about it always, right? You know, you imagine, you know, uh, a Jewish grandmother telling her, her grandchild about the land. Yeah. Um, of course, that's one of the biggest phenomenons that nobody can explain. How is a nation keeping this dream alive? It's not normal, right? It's, no, it's, it's just not normal. Two thousand years. No, no, it's it's unique and it's God ordained, right? I mean, that's there's no other way to explain it. So you have you have a story of this grandmother telling a story to their grandchildren, and and obviously she she mentions places like where it all started from Hebron, Hebron, where Abraham buys the grave of Sarah. Sure. And then she continues about the the dream that Joseph, that Jacob has in Bethel. And, of course, then you have the story about Shechem and all those places, one after another. Well, and Jacob buys a field in Shechem, right? right. I mean, that's, that's, that's everything. Yeah. And we are talking about the places that the story starts. So imagine that the story that the grandchildren listens to, oh, that's where we want to go back. That's the hope. That's the dream. And then in 48, after these long past, right, it's been somewhere there, we received Tel Aviv. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's okay, great. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. yeah. We have but no that's not the show. biblical heartland. That's not the biblical right. heartland. 
you're talking about our connection to the land more than all the politics and all the yeah. security issues that we can and we should discuss here, Rabbi, just what it means. Yeah. But forget about it. Soon, our listeners right now, person who reads the Bible, who believes the Bible, see the connection between the Jewish people and the land from the get-go. Right. It's not even a question. Well, so wouldn't it be nice to go back to 1917, right? And 19, you know, what is it, 21 or whatever these years are where the groundwork is being laid for Transjordan and these other places, which, oh, by the way, nobody wants to mention, were created by, you know, the League of Nations with a precursor to the UN by Western countries just drawing lines. They talk about how Israel was just drawn up with lines by Western countries. But, I mean, that's how all those countries got their borders after the Ottoman Empire fell Mm -hmm. after World War I. So it's no, no mystery what happened uh the question is why is it that every other one is okay with the borders of every other country except for the jewish one you know and we all know it's just jew hatred it's good old-fashioned jew hatred so we have we i digress we have a we have a problem (laughs) Uh, we have a problem with uh with the narrative over the story i i i'm you know i i travel a lot in the u.s sure and i get this from from many pastors that the you know podcasts are being listened by uh, younger people yeah and i hope that younger people are going to listen to this podcast and they're going to ask themselves or they should research about the narrative that's being sold to them by the palestinians and and i'm, and I'm talking now the politics not the biblical perspective of course you no know, in in the story of what happens today in the middle east in israel we are portrayed as the goliath against the davids yeah of course so in the mind and soul of young people who care about justice and equality we are the bad guys yeah and as a soldier and a former soldier and as a person in israel i see the situation and i say for the love of god it is so far and distance from your reality my son Navet, nine years old he goes to school on a bulletproof bus he's an obstacle for peace he's dangering somebody the, it's the kid and his school. Everybody needs to be keeping their security by driving in a bulletproof bus. Does it make any sense? No, it doesn't make any sense. So you know, I'm I'm frustrated. I'm think that's by the way the engine that allows me to fly from North Carolina to Florida to Texas. I'm all over the place because we have such a a compelling reality that I that is not being passed well. Yeah. And, and and that's that's, that's a, this is the struggle, right? You well, came, you came, you came from there, so you yeah. saw it all the time. So I mean, it, so let's get some some groundwork here. Um, the West and the left on the West will call the area that you that we call the biblical heartland. Let's call it right? Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria. They'll so call Samaria it, is north and then Jerusalem, right? And called in the south is Judea, right? Okay. But the West will, and the left will call it the West Bank, right? Which occupied, occupied territories. Or the occupied territories. Exactly right. Yeah. And so what they're referring to is this, this area that used to be part of Jordan mm-hmm. before Jordan attacked Israel in right. 1967. Right. And then according to international law, uh, when somebody attacks you, a neighboring country attacks you, and you take land, you, you get it. It's your land because you were not the aggressor, mm-hmm. right? So we know that According to international law, Israel could have and should have annexed Judea and Samaria at the time. Should have. Now, well, and, and there's, it's more complicated, right? I mean, there's, right. there's, there's demographics issues and stuff like that. But they also, at the same time, uh, got the 
with the, the Sinai Peninsula of Egypt. And the Golan Heights. And the Golan Heights. So you get all of these different areas. So right. they give back... The Sinai. The Sinai. Right. And then later they give up Gaza. Oh, that's a much, much later. Of course. This different is story. 20, 20 yeah. what, 14? 15. 2015. And so what we have is we have a history of when you give up the land in order to gain the peace, that the land gets transferred, but the peace never comes. And in, in, I want to say that Sinai is a bit different. Sinai, Sinai works pretty eventually. well. Eventually. Right. But it works really well, yeah. eventually. Um, but I think Gaza is, is, is the best lesson. Right? You need but let's be real. Sinai yeah. was never really intended to be part of Israel. Right. We never intended to take it. Right. Right. So it wasn't, it, this is, that's a different, uh, kind of an outlier altogether, I okay. suppose. So, so then you have this area where uh, brave Jewish men and women mm-hmm. are saying, no, Tel Aviv is part of Israel today. But the biblical heartland of Israel and the place that we are supposed to be is Judea and Samaria. Mm-hmm. This is the biblical heartland. This is when we open up our Bibles and, you know, just today, right, we're reading, um, you know, I guess t- this week is, is Noah, Noah, right? Um, but then I'm also in Joshua, right? So, I, I mean, just this morning I read Joshua 9. And we're talking about the Gibeonites. We just came through Jericho, right? right? We're talking, I mean, that's all. He's going to then come through the Tirzah Valley. Exactly. We're talking about places where you stand on Harbacha and Allah Moray, and even from your place, and you can see mm-hmm. these places Indeed. because they're part of Israel. So then the, the CFOIC now has, is operating, in my understanding, to support these brave men and women that are going and planting a flag and saying, hey, we're, gonna, we're not just going to say this is ours, right? We're going to go and we're going to take our whole families and we're going to live in these places. It's important to note, though, that you're describing something that if the listener is not familiar with the situation, he thinks we're talking about 20 families that are taking no, no, a no, hill yeah, yeah, and yeah, sitting yeah. there in no, a caravan. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go back. There's still some of that, but I mean... Some of that, yeah, but not, not the main issue. No the movement, the settling movement, and that's, I'm calling it, let's call it settling. We are CFOIC, communities, but we shouldn't be ashamed of what really happened. You know, it was uh, acclaimed on the place that our forefathers walked in. And you want to know an interesting Well, there's a fact? modern claim after the Six-Day War. Oh, right. And an ancient claim. So, so, so we're, going, we're going about, about the biblical terms yeah. because... Because in the end of the day, when we're talking about the politics, there's always going to be the other side. Yes, but, yeah, and according yeah. to him and according to her, I don't care about the politics. I want to talk about our relations to the Bible. And I think that's what connects sure. Christians and Jews because we believe in the same book. Amen. Listen to this. My wife's grandmother took herself and her kids, left Tel Aviv, and established the first community in Samaria, Kdumim, huh. not far from Abraha. Yeah. My mother-in-law was born and raised. I'm talking in 68, 69, 70, 71. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, That's incredible because even like, even like Itamar was an established to like what, the 80s? Right. So the first community that was established actually Kdumim after they were split, there were two, two different places, the Oak of More, Elon More, and then Kdumim, mm-hmm. and you had some people in Mevochoron, never mind. But the community of Kdumim was established by my wife's grandmother. Wow, that's incredible. My wife's mother, my mother-in-law, 
born and raised in Kedumim. She then moved to establish the community of Tzufim. Huh. My wife was born a settler, born and raised, which makes my kid fourth generation. So we're not talking about a couple of families. Let's talk about the numbers for a second. We're talking about more than 40 years of establishing communities in Judea and Samaria when my kids are the fourth generation among somewhere between a half a million Jews. Yeah. In cities, in communities, in all over the place. Well, and, and let me just say that, like, uh, f- you know, we, we caught some, like, a bug when we got to Israel, right? So I don't know if it was just, you know, just some respiratory virus of some sort. COVID, I don't know if it was or not. We didn't get tested for COVID because it didn't really matter. But cough, you know, sniffles, the whole bit. And uh, my son got it the worst of us out of the family. And there's a great medical facility in Harbacha. Mm-hmm that we were able to go to and receive services. Okay. And so you go to this place and there's like an, a grocery store and tall apartment buildings right. and houses. So uh, to your point, this wasn't like uh, caravans on a hilltop, right? This, started, was a, this was a city. But it started on caravans. No doubt. Every yeah, back hill, in the day. Every yeah. community you see started a couple of caravans sure. and they develop. They believe so they grow. Yeah. So they build a house and they build a neighborhood and they build a building. And Al-Bracha is so successful, so populated that now there's not enough room. So they mm-hmm. build in buildings. It's funny, right? Because Judea and Samaria is like always very, very like not high. But thank God people want to move. You know, I went through several of the Arab villages and they're empty, mm. which is which is different because it's like you have all this money being poured into these places by the EU and by, I mean, our competition is these large conglomerate governmental organizations, right? They're raising money. Like when you drive through uh, the village at the bottom of the mountain, there's a big USAID sign sure. on the roundabout. And I'm like, so my tax dollars are going to build these buildings. And then like you look in them and there's shells. There's nobody in there. Sure. And you're like, well, why are you, you're building it to say you did something with the money, you know? But. I think that... Which is the opposite of what the Jewish communities are doing, right? <laughs> They're building and populating and I, I think when you go there, you understand one of the biggest problems we have. Yeah. We, for every porch, yeah. you want to open a porch in your home. The amount of agreements, bureaucracy, bureaucracy yeah. and laws, money you need to pay to make it happen, you're going to get like 10 years older. The village behind you. Do whatever they Bring want. Bring concrete and you can build. That's literally what they do. When they build a house, they build three, four floors above it. To the child, to the grandchild, to the nephew, to the cousin. Yeah. It's, it, what happens there is like it's a different story. But sure. I, I don't care about what they build. So then what, how build. does CFOIC support these communities? So, ex- so, so exactly. So, so that's, that's where it starts to be serious now. Because... Until now, it sounded like oh, we are in heaven, like we're fulfilling a prophecy, we're living the dream. Not easy. While we live there, every day, and I'm talking about every day, they, the Arabs of the area, wants to throw us out of there. Sure. And I'm talking about a situation where in the last two months, I would say we had roughly 500 incidents. I'm talking about stones. I'm talking about shooting. I'm talking about Molotov bottles. I'm talking about nonstop attack with one reason. 
they want to make our life there miserable and during the years if you remember we had so many casualties oh yeah literally in every community somebody a couple uh, uh, died on the road I just heard a podcast about the time you know in the Intifada when every morning they started the morning with saying the three four or five places roads that people were shot and right what happened right now you know when people are gonna listen to it maybe it's gonna be more maybe it's gonna be less but this is a new kind of Intifada which I, I must say something about the politics in Israel which doesn't work so well that we have a situation that nobody talks about it nobody knows that there's a new Intifada on the roads now it is not safe to drive in my neighborhood I'll tell you a story happened to me another legend a year and a half ago, 11 o'clock at night, I'm driving back home from a meeting in Tel Aviv. And I arrive next to my home. As I said, there's a big town of Kalkilia. And it's like a very dark road. I'm driving there with my car. And it was quite a good-looking car. And I'm driving, and somebody behind me opens his lights and begins to drive really, really fast behind me. Until the point he strikes me in the back. What happens? That's the drill. They do that. They make you stop on the side of the road. They throw you from your car in the good time. Sometimes with violence. Mm -hmm. And they take your car. That's something that happens once, twice, and three times every day in a road. When they blame us for apartheid, it wouldn't happen if we would drive our own road. We are driving with them on the same road, and that's what happened to us. Yeah. On the way to school, stones. I work in Kanesham 1, the CFOIC office. This road has incidents daily. So what CFOIC is doing? We understand, as Christians do, that people who live in Judea and Samaria are struggling. Yeah. And their life is not amazing as it should be. They decided to live there out of ideology. Right. They decided to live there because they believe that they are part of redemption, the land of Israel. Right. And we're trying to help them. If it's insecurity, if it's bringing new cameras, new equipment that's needed, if we're talking about something that's going to help them with, just for example, how far is Al-Bracha from the big near city? How far? Yeah. You big near big city? Big near city. I mean... Very close to Shechem. <laughs> Shek, yeah, I'm talking about <laughs> an Israel. But there's a giant sign that says you're not allowed to go there. Uh, yeah, of course. I'm saying because for Israelis. Because of the Israeli apartheid, of course. How long? Which I want to make sure I clear that up. The sign says Israelis are not allowed to go there. According to the law, it's yeah. against the law, and you're risking your life, yeah, dangerous it says. to your life. Whereas it's the, obviously the Palestinians, you know, the so-called Palestinian Arabs don't have the issue of that. They can go wherever. Anywhere. Um, so I was asking, you go to Bar- from Al-Bakha, you want to go to a city. Um, I don't know. There's a little village on the bottom of the mountain, Huara, and then... Uh, it's Arab. Yeah, that is also Arab. It's um, Israeli. So then the next closest village would be what? It- Itamar? It's a village. There's nothing there. A city. Let's say, God forbid, there's a kid with special needs and he needs treatment. There's special... Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. 45 minutes? Maybe, yeah. Think about the fact when you live there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I'm thinking Shiloh, I'm thinking Itzar, I'm thinking all, all, all these are small towns. Yeah, small towns. Yeah. They don't have what we're talking about. Yeah. A person who's retired, 
elder citizen home, whatever. Yeah. Where, where do they go? What do you do? You need to drive 45 minutes to the theater in Petah Tikva or in Tel Aviv? Nah, yeah. Living life in Judea and Samaria has its limitations. We understand it. Well, bec because it's almost like you start out like a, you're camping and then you're glamping, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then you're, and then you're, uh, you establish homes and things like that. But like I was talking about in Harbacha, the medical facility is there, but this is obviously a small clinic. This wasn't like a major hospital. And it's, and it's probably brand new. Yeah. And now there's I think an emergency center down next to the base as well. Yeah. We just, CFOAC just helped them uh, buy this ultrasound device for pregnant ladies. Mm, they awesome. didn't have in all of the region. So check this out. So uh, one of the things that I learned because I was on security duty while I was up on the mountain because there were some incidents and things going on. So we were taking shifts because they wanted people on the cameras 24-7. Mm -hmm. Whereas normally you just, you know, you have the cameras to watch in case. But sometimes you need people like monitoring and then doing patrols, right? So we would do patrols and then also be watching the cameras. But the cameras at night, you can't see a thing if you just have regular cameras. Right. So what do you have? So these are specialty cameras that have night vision and thermal, and thermal imaging. So, you know, praise God, most of the things that we saw were deer and foxes and, you know, things like that. Um, but we did have some people go onto the side of the hill and we're doing like a midnight um uh, mikvah, mm -hmm. <laughs> which was uh, interesting because they were getting married the next day. And you saw people walking. So I'm like, I see people. So I'm on the horn, you know, like, hey, guys, we got three people over at the, you know, this location and whatnot. But still, those cameras, I want to say, are like $20,000 a piece. So go on our website, CFOAC, mm -hmm. and write Rechelim. 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 It's okay. near Arbacha. Uh, yeah, yeah. A community that CFOAC donors gave. Uh, Thermocambra, Friday night evening, it catches two terrorists under the fence going inside the community. Yeah. And we know for a fact that without this camera, they wouldn't be stopped. Yeah. So now the Thermocambra sees them. The emergency um, you know, security guard comes and stops it. Yep. We are literally saving life. And I know people ask the obvious questions. Where's your army? Where's the IDF? They cannot be everywhere at the same time. Right. We're talking about many communities, many soldiers. Everybody's keeping us, but there's more needs. And they are doing a great job. Yeah. But without the cameras, right, the cameras help everybody. You cannot be everywhere at the same time. Yeah. Now, so so, this, so security is a big deal, right? Huge. It's a huge deal. Um, and having the security infrastructure, cameras, fencing, uh, you know, um, uh, security roads for the IDF to drive on, right? Because, right, right. I mean, the IDF will do it if they feel compelled, but if you're the one with the community, they'll be much happier if, you know, hey, they if the road gets built, <laughs> they'll use it to patrol. No, I, I would say that they would control it anywhere. They don't have any requests. But when you have limited resources, you need to think where to invest. Yeah. I'll give you an example. The this community of Migdalim, it's on the way from Tapuach Junction going to the Jordan Valley. Okay, yep. Isolated community. Tapuach Junction is the junction that says, I heart Shomron, right, 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 right. It's an apple junction. Right. And they have like, uh, it's an isolated community, and they have one road that takes them to the community, and it's on the hill. The problem is that there's a village sits on the main road. So literally every day when they enter the community, they have stones, they have things, they're trying to disturb it's them. It's ridiculous. 
You know what we were able to do? Pave a new road, an exit road for the emergency Build car. a road around it, got it. The army would never get there. I mean, they wouldn't help building it. The, there's many, many needs. And but, every but they'll use it once you have it. Right. Now they yeah. use it and they're going to use also the road that they had in the past. Yeah. I'm saying the fact that you can bring help and you can bring cameras and you can bring equipment and you can bring cars of emergency and you can bring firefighters to the community help them. It is changing their lives. And I'm talking that's only yeah. from the security perspective. Also for elders and special needs. A playground in a community that doesn't have it. You know how much it changes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and there's on and on projects. And CFOAC is only the pipe. We are the bridge. Christian friends wants to give, wants to help. They go on our website. They see the communities and see, wow, look at their needs. Look at the way they live. And you've been there. Oh, yeah. They are not people who are searching for leisure life and more comfortable these are hardworking folks. Swimming pool brave, in a clubhouse. Brave folks. These are these are pioneers. Yes, absolutely. You know, so so then I guess if I understand it, this is a way for Christians who say, you know, they may be listening or they may be watching. They're saying, "I love Israel." Right. Lots of people say that. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but I think that there's a reality to Israel that maybe a lot of people are not aware of. Right. The first and foremost is the most contested areas of Israel are the most Israeli er areas, right? Right. I mean, you mentioned it, Hebron, right? Contested, mostly an Arab village, but who purchased it, right? Abraham, Abraham Avinu, right? So it's, they we're talking about Abraham bought this land, but yet it's still contested to right. this day. So this is one place. Then Jacob's Field purchased, right? Right there in Shechem, right below the overlook that you were referring to. Mm -hmm. uh, Jerusalem, right? The Temple David. Mount. Right. So this is Je David, you know, purchases from the Jebusite. So we have all these places that are so-called Palestinian, <laughs> right? Um, but yet are actually the most Israeli, Israelite places in the whole country. You're right. And if there is a claim to be made by the Jewish people for any part of the land, this is the part of the land. So those that say they support Israel... This is, this is a way, because what you guys are doing is you guys are saying, hey, okay, guys, what's the need in this community? What's the need in this community? Right. And you're collecting it, hmm. and then you're giving the opportunity to Christians to be friends and to say, hey, you know, let, let me give towards what I say I support. You're defining it really, really good, and I would say this. I would say, <clears throat> put it this way, you know, it's always a question that needs to be asked, right, when we look at history. And, and I'm going to ask you, like, um, you know, you ask me about a defining moment yeah. in my life of my faith to Judaism. Where, what was the time in history you wanted to go back to, to participate in? It's a hard question. You personally. For yeah? me, to go to Israel. Yeah. Israel, not Israel, any, any time in history you want to participate in. You're saying, oh, oh, I, oh, wish oh I want to be I in this time in history. Yeah, 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 I would definitely say the Second Temple period. Yeah? Yeah, around the time. So people always yeah. tend to give something in the past that was crucial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. crazy things that we saw there and we were exposed. Yeah. Because people want to be involved and do something big for themselves and for the community yeah, yeah. and for the better good. When you look at Israel today and you visited Israel, you see a modern state. You see a place sure. that has everything. It's not far from any big major city in the U.S., especially when you go to the big towns in Tanya and Tel Aviv, even Jerusalem. Yeah, even Jerusalem. 
But when you come to Judea and Samaria, you say to himself, for the love of God, they're like, they're like living in places that in 2022, with all the struggles <coughs> and all the way that people choose where to live according to leisure, safety, yeah. benefits their own good, these are really something you would call a pioneer. Yeah, so oh, you want to participate in something that's challenging Israel? Oh, yeah. You want to really help Israel? Help them where they need it. And help the real Israel. I mean, you, it's know, the real you Israel, can give to world and vision. And it's the real struggle And they're going to go and build a, our Arab village, you it, know? <laughs> I'm saying it's the real, <laughs> it's, the, it's where Israel struggles. It's on our right in Judea and Samaria. And these are the people who struggle day in, day yeah. out in their lifetime. Yeah. That's real support and health where it matters well and again there's a lot of people that are going to watch uh or see other people that are supposedly supporting israel and unfortunately a lot of these organizations have been around for a long time and because they're established large organizations they're very heavy as far as what they uh have in administrative costs right right and then once they get heavy in administrative costs, they get people from like the academic world and the nonprofit world in there that are left leaning and it starts to move the organizations left. And while they still say on the one side, hey, we're here to support Israel, literally they're building Arab villages in Area C, mind you, right? Which I don't even have time to get into what that means. Just let's say that it's not good. You know, it's, it's, a, it's the opposite of what people are giving towards when they're doing that. I'm not going to say anything negative about any other organization, I would say just, if people come to Israel, they should contact CFOAC to see what happens to the Jewish people yeah. in the biblical heartland. Yeah, We promised every person to bring him, give him the time to see with his own eyes. If yeah. you're a church, if you're a pastor, if you're organizing a trip to Israel, you can go on the same path right, where Jesus walked. It's great. Yeah, If you want to see what happens, the struggle that people has on the biblical heartland in Judea and Samaria, CFYC is there on the ground. We have a Christian office here in Colorado Springs, mm -hmm. and we have the Israeli office with Jewish Orthodox Jews that live in the in the ground. I think that connection, that bridge, is really something that defines yeah, us. I agree with that. So, okay, so let's let's back up one step and say Jews and Christians, Jews and non-Jews, working together. Uh, obviously, we can say that we've defined here today an area that they can work together on. Right. You know, but what is it like? What is it for the Christians? What do you say to a Christian to 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 kind of turn the light bulb on so that they understand why they should be supporting the Jewish people and in the land of Israel, and more specifically, the heartland of Israel? It's a hard question because I'll tell you this. Never in my lifetime, never in my lifetime, I would thought that I would come and sit in a church yeah. and talk with pastors about yeah. this. Listen, I, I put it on the table. I wasn't aware of this movement at all. Sure. I was born and raised in Israel. I gave you my biography. Yeah, sure, sure. They never teach you in the school about this movement. They're yeah. never going to talk about people who care about Israel. It's always about negative, sure. about how they hate us, about the UN, about this and that. Yep, yep, yep. And I want to share with you the, the moment that really defined my approach to this. Maybe that's going to help you understand where I'm coming from. So I, I skipped that in the, my biography, but I said uh, that my kids were born in Hong Kong. 
Right. What led me to Hong Kong? After a couple of years in Israel of learning in after the army, I went to another Bible school for many years. I was I really was into it. Right. That where it changed my life because after the army, I went for a couple of years of learning more advanced learning, maybe to be a rabbi. And then I've uh, my wife told me, let's uh, let's go and um, to be educators for a couple of years somewhere in the world. That's something you do. And we ended up in Hong Kong. I was the head of the Jewish studies uh, department in the Jewish day school there. That's cool. Didn't even knew there's Jews in Hong Kong. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Go figure, right? So when, when I lived there, we had a privilege to travel, travel around Asia. And for the first time in my life, I saw people that not only they're not against the Jewish people or Israel, they actually like us. Yeah. You go to China. Oh, Israel. Great. Somebody asked me once, how many Jews live in the world? I told them uh, maybe 15 million, 16 million. They said, no, no, not in China, in the world. I said, huh. oh, okay. in, in the world. They, they, they see the Jewish people in Israel is that something so out there. Yeah, yeah. And we traveled and we saw how there's a lot of admire to Israel. But really what hits me is the hit. What's the hit? In New Zealand, there are people who host Israelis, Christians who host Israelis at their homes free of charge. They are literally fighting to host Israelis <laughs> backpackers. That's funny. And there's a list of people wherever they live, what they provide. And Israeli backpackers can live for free. I was never told that. Huh. Nobody told me about this movement. Nobody ever said that it's actually something that happens. Sure. So it strikes me as like, okay, there's something there. And when I came back and I began, I got to know Sandra and I got to this organization, one of the first things I did is like, I want to I wanna, I wanna ask questions. I'm not sure I want to be involved in this. Honestly, I was never. My education, it's, you always ask questions. Yeah. Who said it's the right thing? So one of the first person I met, a pastor, I asked him the question you asked. What's your connection? Why should you care? Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I came from a very Israeli, non-naive yeah. situation. And that's what he told me. He told me that he was a child in 1948 when Israel was established. And his father wake, woke up in the morning and said to him, it's rare that in our lifetime we see a prophecy coming true Amen. in front of our eyes. That's right. And when the Israel was established, at that moment, every person who believed the Bible had to get this crazy strike of, Wow. Yeah, amen. It's actually happening. It's against the odds. All the prophet talked about Israel resurrecting. Yeah. Coming back to their land. But it's like, come on, look at them. And when it happened, so many people gained this new belief. Or I wouldn't say new belief, but they, they got it now. Mm -hmm. They saw with their eyes something they, they never dreamed that's going to happen. And it didn't stop there. 67 reclaiming the land, making Israel the powerhouse it is now. Amen. That's the strongest proof that the prophets were indeed correct. And yes, that right. is the truth. And that pastor told me, when I see Israel, when I support Israel, I also gain this belief that my other prophecies are going to come true. That's right. Well, and, and if the prophecies for the Jewish people and for Israel and the promises that God made to the Jewish people in Israel 
are not true, then what hope do we as Christians have of the promises that we're holding on to so tightly, you know? Um, and so as we, it, you know, it reminds me of, um, it reminds me, because again, I was just reading Joshua this week, you know, uh, it reminds me of the three tribes on the east side of the Jordan. Right, two and a half. Right, well, yeah, two and a half, right? So the half-tribe Manasseh and... and um, Loven. And Reuben and Gad. So how in order for them to receive their promise, they had to go and help the rest of the nation receive their promise. Mm-hmm. And, and then and only then could everybody live under that promise. And I think that that's how we are. Our fates are inextricably, like you can't separate, separate our fates. That, um, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about some new entity uh, called the church being created, right? It talks about um, how the nations, right? People from the nations will come out and they will, they will hold on to the God of Israel and the Sabbath and all of these things, right? These are the prophecies. So if you want to be part of the prophecies, you just got to choose. Do you want to be part of it or do you not, right? So I wouldn't say that to a, to a person. I'm not a Christian. I, it's hard for me to mess with someone's beliefs. Sure. And I think that's something also that needs to be said here. Uh, yeah. w- Jews working with Christians always comes with this pre-notion that we are respecting one another. Mutual respect. Mutual right. respect. No yeah. evangelizing and not going and educate you about the real beliefs that I have. Yeah. Never do that. Always mutual respect. Sure. But when I hear people telling me that's what strengthened my religion, that's what made the prophecy, I say amen to that. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, this is really cool. I'm so glad we got to spend this time together. Sure. Um, if somebody hears this and says, I want to be part of supporting the pioneers in Judea and Samaria. I want to be part of helping these communities uh, either gain access to better security or medical care or special needs care or whatever it is, whatever the needs are, where can they go to find out more information and to participate? So first of all, before the needs, forget about the needs now. Okay. Come get educated. Yeah. Come learn the topic. Sure. Understand the topic. Come visit the communities. And if not visit physically when you're standing there, although that's, you're more than invited. Yeah. We also have trips to Israel, especially those places. Yeah. We just have a trip now in November. Two weeks in the biblical heartland. Wow. And what we're saying is more than that is go online, right? See if I see on YouTube and you will get informed and you will see the communities and you're going to get a lot of content related to this topic. Of course, go our website. You can... Which is cfoic.com? cfoic.com. You okay. can subscribe uh, to our newsletters. We constantly send information and news and updates about what happens from somebody who actually lived there, understand what happens and, and, sure. and, and you know, lives it. I think that's the best thing. And just shoot us an email and we will answer gladly. All in our website, cfoic.com. Perfect. Okay. Well, then there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate uh, you spending a generous amount of time with us. Uh, You guys have obviously now met Shmuel Younger with uh, CFOIC. And uh, obviously there's a lot more than just a name and and an organization, right? there's, There's a lot behind that. And so I appreciate you taking the time to be Thank with us today. Thank you for having me. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. And I hope that uh, those of you that are listening, I hope this moves you to uh, an understanding that there is a need. And I know you say forget about the need. 
I say remember the need, support the organization, CFYC, because what they're doing is they're literally taking the need and connecting the dollars to those needs, buying the cameras, putting in the fencing, putting in the playground, helping you know either establish or maintain uh, places that will support elder care and or special needs care or right. whatever. And among and that's just a few things to mention, right? I mean, right. I know there's right. a lot more right. than that. So praise God. Um, if you guys want to reach out to us, as you guys know, you can reach me at uh, Ryan at twopraise.net, Ryan at twopraise.net. Obviously, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to see your comments and your thoughts about, uh, yeah. you know, good, bad, and, and indifferent about uh, what we've, you know, said here today. And uh, if you have any questions, you can obviously comment um, or uh, ask questions on here. So bless you guys. Have a great week.